0: From Hamster Wheel Publishing. This is Free Wheeling. The show that answers your questions about veterinary business and leadership. With me, Dr. Dave Nicholl here. Welcome back to another episode of Freewheeling, the veterinary business Q&A video show and podcast. We're here at BSAVA. Let's quickly turn around. Can you stand up? Like We've got the exhibit hall down there, and we are very kindly being hosted by Hills, our friends at Hills Pet Food. Um, we've got this beautiful big display around here, and we are, we are camped out in their booth shooting a few videos for you guys. Now, what I want to talk about today is not a question from you guys is a question that I'm posing to you guys, and I'm basing that on a piece, a publication by the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons here in the United Kingdom. The Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons published a document called the Guide to Professional Conduct, and they've recently updated it to include or to update the section on informed consent. That is the process by which we obtain the consent of a client to undertake some form of medical intervention with their pet. And in that document it says that clients should receive, uh, they should receive awareness or should be made aware of all of the various treatment options that are available for their pet. Now, laudable ambition, brilliant in the the real world or in a a fantasy world where we had all the time in the world, where we had the best communication skills in the world, and we had pet owners who were smart enough to understand what it was we're trying to talk about, which is inherently quite a complex, ever-changing dynamic environment, That might work, but in the real world, what we're doing is we're asking a lot of vets who are working with 10 or 15 minute appointments who have had no communication training to explain three or four different choices that may or may not work for their animal um, based on what they learned at university. Um, and, And in doing so, I think what we're doing and what I've observed we're doing And when I say observed, I mean observed in watching over 1,500 closing in on 2,000 different veterinary exams, what we are not just enabling but we're asking our people to do so that they meet this guide to professional conduct and they don't get in trouble is to willingly and knowingly overwhelm clients with poorly presented information and that leads to decision paralysis. And that leads to things like walkouts from the exam room, leads to miscommunications, leads to unhappy clients, leads to unhappy vets. And, and the process also does another thing. It means that vets, and because of our poor communication or a lack of communication training, I should say, because it's not willful poor communication, it's just we don't know better. What we wind up doing is we offer three options, typically or more. And we say, option A has this advantage, this risk, and this price. Option B has this advantage, this risk, and this price. And option C has this advantage, this risk, and this price. And in doing that, we are talking about inherently complex, dynamic medical things that are really hard to explain in a 10 or 15 minute communi- like consultation appointment. So we overwhelm the client and the clients make decisions based on either cost or in a lot of cases, they don't make a decision at all. And when I mean a lot of cases, my research in the exam room has found that a good vet who's a very competent communicator, very skilled and has a good trust uh, basis with their clients, can probably convert those clients maybe one in two times. So maybe 50% of the time they make a recommendation for some form of large, expensive surgical or medical intervention, that client's likely to say yes. But if you're a poor communicator, or inexperienced, or uh, you, know, you don't have the sort of grasp or, or the relationship basis with the clients, that can be as low as 10%. So one in 10 animals actually gets the treatment that they actually need in order to get better, to heal. And so I think what we ought to be doing when we're talking about professional conduct, our professional conduct should be about getting animals the treatment and the medicines that they require in order to heal, to get better. And that should take account of best practice communication methods. And I don't think there is a best practice communication method that says we should overwhelm clients with complex information and abdicate decision, remove that decision from us, abdicate responsibility from us onto our clients. And that's what ends up happening when you ask vets to make multiple recommendations to clients for one treatment problem. Here's an alternate view and way of looking at it. You have a single animal with its own unique set of circumstances, physiological, emotional, um, things happening in there. You've got your client with their own unique set of circumstances, also potentially physiological, emotional, uh, financial things happening in there. And you've got practice in a local environment with its own set of things going on. That is a lot of moving parts. In my view, you should be free to make the best recommendation that that animal needs in that moment. And that will, be, that will vary, not based necessarily on evidence-based medicine, but on evidence-based of what the client can afford, the client can handle, the client emotionally, the client can handle physically, and the same thing goes for that animal. You should be able to make a single best recommendation that you think is the best knowing that client as you do. And you're the only person that can do that. If you do that, you don't overwhelm. Uh, and if you don't overwhelm, you're more likely to get an answer and deposit from the client. Now, I'm assuming we behave ethically. The guide to professional conduct kind of covers that already, so I don't think we need to add that in as a subclause here and, and instruct us to do more. The other thing is that, in, in, in a, basically in allowing clients to make that decision, we're not removing choice. We're just saying, we're not packaging up everything in one bundle and ramming it down people's throats. So we're not showing up and throwing up in the exam room and overwhelming. If that client cannot afford or cannot commit emotionally, mentally, physically to that course of action, that's completely fine. Then you should go to plan B or plan C or whatever plan is appropriate for that animal. But that's a part of the conversation you move to next. Inherently, there cannot be three optimum treatment options for one animal. That just doesn't make sense. And it's not borne out by effective communication in the exam room. So that's what I got for you today. That's my thought on that. a Little bit controversial, I know. Um, but having trained a lot of vets in the exam room and watched a lot of techniques, I feel like this piece of guidance um, needs further discussion, needs further amendment. As I say, whilst it's quite laudable in its aim, I think in practice and in, in, in actual practical delivery, it's probably causing more harm to pets than is good. And that should be, that sort of thing should not be in our guide professional conduct. That's what I got for you today. So what do you think? What are your thoughts, your feedback? Do you disagree, do you agree? Um, Tell me what you think. doesn't matter if you're in the UK or not. Communication, these things are principles across all of our lands. So please, leave comments, leave feedback, and um, don't forget to send in your questions for the next episode of Freewheeling. Dr. Dave out, be safe, be well, be happy. thank you for listening to that episode of freewheeling. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, leave me a rating or review on iTunes. That'd be much appreciated. Now, if you want to have your question answered, hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. It's at Dr. Dave Nicol. That's D-R-D-A-V-E-N-I-C-O-L. I'll see you in the next episode.